Well, friends, I'm going to introduce our preacher this morning. Uh, Allison and I first met through a pastor's cohort that we're both a part of about three years ago, a little more than three years ago. She comes to us from the Dallas area where she serves as pastor of worship at First United Methodist Church in Richardson, Texas. She's not only a gifted pastor, uh, but she's an even better friend. Uh, she enjoys baking, F1 racing, and her favorite TV show is Ted Lasso. Allison's husband, Cameron, and their 13-month-old, Calvin, are also with us this morning. Now, the Chiefs aren't playing today, so we need to show these Texans that we know how to get loud in Kansas City. <laughs> so won't you join me in giving it up for my good friend, Allison G. technology. There we go. Got you. Thanks, guys. Well, good morning. It is such a joy to be with you all this morning for worship. Uh, I can guarantee you that uh, even though we consider Adam an honorary Texan, and thank you all for loaning to him to us as our cohort meets, uh, he has shown us the very best that Casey has to offer. We have been to Casey's and had the pizza. We have gone to Q39. We've played pickleball. It's been an amazing week. And we also had like speakers and learned important things about leadership and pastoring and all that kind of stuff, but it was really about the barbecue. So I'm glad to be with you all this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, may the words I speak and the meditations on all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. Our rock, our redeemer, our savior of the world. Amen. Well, this morning uh, I am preaching on whatever I want. That's what Adam said. Talk about whatever you want, Allison, which for a pastor is like walking into a very overwhelming buffet. I mean, there's so many choices. What do I do? There's just all these different scriptures. They're all so good. But I thought, okay, well, this week as a cohort, we decided to study burnout and Sabbath. So I thought, okay, I can plan my sermon around that and maybe just take what our speakers give to us and write a sermon off that and not have to do a lot of work. But uh, it turned out I started digging into Sabbath, which is a very churchy word for sacred rest. And I thought it was going to be an easy sermon. And as I continued to study, it really became very convicting for me. Uh, and so I want us to dive in to the very first place where Sabbath shows up for us. And it's in the very early part of our scriptures. It's in Genesis, which is the first book in the entire Bible. It's the beginning of creation. And we find in chapter 2, this first appearance of Sabbath. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So first... We start off the beginning of creation, the beginning of this story of God and the world. And what does God choose to do? But God chooses to give us an example of Sabbath rest, of pausing, of looking at what has been done and resting. Now, I don't know about you, but I am, I'm just not very good at this. And as I continued to read 
in Genesis and then as we move into Exodus and move into the New Testament because Sabbath is everywhere in the Bible, I just kept being reminded that God calls us to Sabbath rest. God calls us to pause for a moment. As we read in Genesis, we also read in Exodus about this practice of Sabbath. And as you hear the word Exodus, what pops into your mind? The book of Exodus, it's the second book of the Bible, right after Genesis, right after this first example of God, God's self, choosing to rest in a moment after creating the world. We move to the story of Moses. That's right. Thank you. That was my husband. I appreciate it. Good job, babe. You get a gold star. We think of Moses. We think of this individual man who comes and he finds a place of the burning bush. This is where he's called into service, where he helps to free God's people from being enslaved in Egypt. And he goes on to lead them. If you've ever seen a movie where Moses is depicted with the large beard and the two tablets and standing on a stone, and it's very dramatic... This is what we think of, but the book of Exodus is about so much more than one person. In fact, the book of Exodus is about a community of people. A community of people who are enslaved in Egypt, and then they move into freedom, and they learn how to live together as community. I feel like that is a story that we need to read now. Sarah and Adam took me to dinner, uh, and I was very impressed by the appetizers in this awesome uh, place that had a lot of TVs for watching sports and all these things, and we're having a great conversation. Sarah and I are chatting, and I kept getting distracted by this giant TV off in the corner because there were these constant ads, and I didn't hear the audio because it's muted, but it's black and white text and red and very clearly a message of don't vote for this person because they're the worst thing that's ever happened in the entire planet. You should be afraid of them. We shouldn't vote for them. I mean, all of these negative ads about whoever it is that's running on the other side of the aisle. And I was exhausted by it, and I didn't even hear it. Just seeing it constantly pop up, but I'm also exhausted by it because it pops up on my social media feeds, it pops up in conversations where we are othering each other, where we are forgetting that we are a community. We are on our worst behavior. I mean, there are studies that are showing, I mean, maybe it's different in Kearney, but in Dallas, road rage is on the rise. People are hateful towards each other. And so to realize that the book of Exodus is not just about this individual person who is moving into this place of call and this dramatic story, but that it's about a community of people a community of people who are learning to live together, to be community together, to follow God together. I feel like that's a story that I need to read. And so we dive into this second place where the word Sabbath really appears and we move from this example that God has set of choosing to engage in Sabbath, of choosing to rest. And now we move into Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. These are words from God to the people of God. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, 
sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and consecrated it. Now, this is a pretty popular passage in the book of Exodus. And it is, in fact, the moment when Moses stands on the stones with the tablets because this is the chapter of the Ten Commandments. Those ten rules that really start this process of this group of people learning to be community together. And so this is the first truth that I want us to grasp about Sabbath. And it's one that pastors forget quite often. In those ten rules, there are things like don't murder each other and don't steal from each other. Very basic rules of how to be community together. Don't kill each other, right? It's an essential practice of humanity for us to live together. And the act of rest, the act of Sabbath, God-centered rest, is so important, it is included on that list. Within the Ten Commandments, rest is so essential to human flourishing that it is a part of the Ten Commandments. I don't know about y'all, but I treat rest as this optional thing I might eventually get to. And I really, I mean, I stop and I ask myself, when was the last time I had real God-centered rest besides this excellent week that Adam planned for us? <laughs> I mean, when was the last time that I paused and took a breath? I mean, for some of us, it might have just been those first few weeks of the pandemic when everything shut down for what we thought was going to be a couple of weeks. Adam was talking about it this morning, very fondly remembering the time when all he did was do barbecue and then text pictures of said barbecue to my husband. <laughs> what are you smoking this week? I don't know. I haven't been to Costco yet, you know? I mean, I remember the, the pause and really everything seemed to just quiet down, except that worship still had to happen somehow online we had to get creative and so working at a church as a pastor of worship I remember the day I moved all my stuff I got my computer monitor and I just carried it over and set it all up on our dining room table and all of a sudden work moved into the sacredness of our homes did that happen to you I mean I remember the day that all of it got set up and, and I worked and, you know, made sure everything was set for Sunday and, and got everything ready. And then I went to sit on our couch in our living room. We have a nice open floor plan. And I sink into the cushions. And what do I see out of the corner of my eye? The glow of the monitor. Just one more email. Just one more task. And maybe for you, it's not emails. For my dad, it's electric poles. I know that sounds weird, but he's an electrical engineer. So every time he drives down the highway and sees an electrical pole, he thinks, oh, work. Or maybe you're a farmer and you look out on your land and you realize that there's just, there's always more to do. There's some machinery that's not working or something needs to be planted or an animal needs to be tended to or you're a parent and there's always more laundry. No one told me that, by the way, about parenting, that there is always more laundry to do. But there's, there's that temptation and that pull that, that just wants you to pull away from that rest that we think is optional. And I think that the biblical people might have struggled with this too because not 11 chapters later in Exodus, we get another instruction about Sabbath. It's not just an example of Sabbath, it's now a command. 
The Lord said to Moses, you yourself are to speak to the Israelites. You shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, given in order that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. That I, the Lord, sanctify you. That last little piece. And it's important to back up from these, these texts and ask about the community that we're learning about. I know, it's fascinating. <laughs> Son is so excited about this sermon I'm giving. But if we, if we back up and say, okay, this community that's learning to be together, what do we know about them? We know that they were enslaved in Egypt for years. They lived lives that were defined by nothing but what they could produce. They were, lived, they were defined by lives lived for production, for working, and nothing else. They were seen as property that was to be used and abused. They were defined only by the work that they could offer. And that sounds a little familiar to me. I'm not enslaved by my computer, but that monitor glow is very tempting. And we realize we live in a world that says that you are defined by what you can produce. That your worth is dictated by what's on your resumes. That your importance is defined by how full your schedule is. What does it mean for God the Almighty to look at a community of people who were enslaved and to say you are commanded to rest? It is not optional. It is on the Ten Commandments. It is one of the ten essential practices of being a community together. You must rest. This makes me very uncomfortable as that monitor glow calls to me. Just one more thing. Just one more email and you'll feel less anxious. Just one more task and you'll feel accomplished. Just one more to do and you will feel worthy. We're so bad at this that <laughs> we get to the New Testament, which is the time of Jesus. And we're reading in an autobiography of his life. He's doing ministry. He's walking around and doing all these things with people. We get to Mark chapter 2. So all these instructions about Sabbath, the Ten Commandments... All that scripture, they know by heart. And this is what we find in Mark chapter 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God where Abathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Do you, do you hear what happened between Exodus and the time of Jesus? 
God commands us to rest, is trying to remind this community, you are not defined by what you can produce, your worth is not dictated by what you can do. And then we get to Mark, and all of these people are looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're not doing the Sabbath right, because they've made it into a to-do list item. They've made Sabbath a task. That's how bad we are at Sabbath. This is how bad we are at rest. And why? Why do we wrestle with this so much? Why is this so hard for us to do? Because it points to the truth that none of us want to accept. You are not self-sufficient. I am not self-sufficient. I cannot rely on myself for all things. Sabbath is not this command to sit on the couch and veg out. It is a command to remind us that we are dependent entirely on the grace of God. I am not defined by the work that I do. I am defined by the grace I have been given. And this is so uncomfortable for us. I mean, Walter Brueggemann says it best. Violating the Sabbath is to withhold for the self that which rightly belongs to God. Clearly the reason for withholding for self in order to have joy, well-being, and security on one's own terms and without reference to or reliance on God. I don't want to be dependent on God because I want to make myself God. I want to define my own worth. I want to earn everything. I want to tell myself that I can be in control. But Sabbath rest, and I'm not talking about a once a year vacation that you yearn for and wait for. I'm talking about regular weekly pauses where we bend our hearts to the fact that we are dependent on God. That I am not self-sufficient. Why do I think that our communities are fracturing and we are on our worst behaviors? I learned this this weekend if I needed a reminder. When are children at their most nightmarish selves? When they have skipped a nap. It is terrible. The house is in chaos. Everyone is in a bad place. We need to rest. We need to rest in God, to relax into the presence of God, the Almighty, who tells us, you're already worthy. I've never asked you to be self-sufficient. I've never asked you to do this on your own. We are not self-sufficient, we are Sabbath-dependent. And Sabbath is not a to-do list item to add to your already overwhelming task load. It is a gift. This is a gift. So let's receive it this week. Let us rest in the presence of God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, we confess to you that the glow of the monitor, the list of tasks, the desire to be self-sufficient on our own without any dependence on you is so tempting. 
And we fall for the lie that we are what we produce. We fall for it. And we are sorry. So God, in this moment, let us breathe anew into your presence. Let us breathe and know that this is a gift that you have given to us. A calling and a command to rest. To rely on you and you alone. Pray all this in the name of Christ.